So, hallelujah, Christ is risen. Well, that outed all the Anglicans. Um, it's an Easter greeting that we use. Let's try it again now you can see it. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. And if you want the, the non-denominational version of it, it's God is good. And all the time. Indeed, Father is amazing. And we celebrate that today. So we are going to baptize people later. And those, those baptisms are all about helping um, people to, to, to make a public declaration of faith and of their willingness to be people who are disciples. And disciple is one of those words we're going to look at today. Um, and before we look at some definitions of it, I, a disciple... Who can tell me what a disciple is? Who'd like to give me the opportunity? Uh, give, let me give you an opportunity. I haven't got a microphone, so I'm just going to have to listen. Sam, what do you think a disciple is? Jesus' friends. Jesus' friends? Yes, that's brilliant. Um, anybody else wanting to tell me a little bit about what a disciple is? Yes, uh, Melissa. Someone who follows Jesus. That's amazing. Well done. And Abigail? Somebody who believes in Jesus. Yes, all those things are great and are true. Um, and um, the, the word disciple actually comes from the Latin disciplus, which means learner. So we use it in a church way for thinking about a follower or a learner of Jesus. But you can use disciple as in, in other settings, can't you? Like, you know, I'm a disciple of... Um, I don't know, Keynesian economics, perhaps. Um, but we use it as a way of talking about we want to be a follower of Jesus. And um, so therefore, there is something in this I want to suggest to you about movement. You cannot follow somebody by standing still. We have to be people who are growing and changing and living out what God calls us to be. If we're truly going to be disciples, or followers of Jesus. So there has to be something about movement in there. And so I'm going to offer you um, eight headings under the, uh, that help us to, to, dis, to think about disciple today. And here comes basically the answers there. So we're dead without God. Our identity is transformed and so on and so on and so on. Let's move on before you'll take them all in. And my talk is ruined. Thank you. Okay. So the first word, the first letter, D, is that we want to recognize that we are dead without God. That actually, spiritually, we have no hope of going to heaven unless we come alive in Christ. This is a quote from Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. But, the writer to the church at Ephesus goes on, or the church in that region, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And it's that aliveness that we're celebrating in baptism. But we have to first recognize that we were dead. And that without God, we are dead. So say that with me, would you, everybody? We are, so it's going to be D, dead without God. One, two, three. D, dead without God. And therefore, with God, we can recognize that actually our identity is transformed. We're adopted into God's family. That Galatians passage talks about being adoption to sonship, God's child and heir. Now, if you're a lady, don't worry about being adopted to a sonship. 
Don't forget that back then, it was only sons that inherited any wealth. So this is about all of us being adopted into God's family and into uh, being inheritors, not just of the name, but of the character and the benefits of the passion of Jesus. If you want to put it in posh words, that is. Um, The benefits of Jesus dying means that we can all go to heaven. We're adopted into God's family. So our identity is transformed. We were D, dead without God. And when we come to Christ, we are I. Identity is transformed. I'm not hearing many children just say this. I'm only hearing the adults so far. We'll test the children in a minute, okay? Um, And so then we might go on and think about S. What do you think S might be for? Give me some ideas. Um, Hang on, I've talked to you already. Somebody over this section? An idea of an S? Sonship? Saved? Salvation? All those S's are possible. Um, The S that I used was, 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 that we are actually considered to be saints rather than sinners. Because our identity has transformed, we have come to Christ, and so we can, we can know that we are not sinners trying to be good, trying to be saints, if you like, but we are saints. We are people who know Jesus. And, and saints is, is a misused word. We're not talking about St. Philip and St. James and St. Andrew, and we are, but we're talking about much more than that. Some of those New Testament letters talk about to the saints in Philippi. The followers of Jesus, in other words, the disciples. But actually, as people who are transformed, we are different to our not yet Christian neighbors. Because we are saints, and yes, we sometimes sin, but we know the route to forgiveness and fresh start and reconciliation with God. So it was that we were d dead without God. I think that's what do we say, David? What do we say? Yes, dead without God. Let's try that again. We were D, dead without God. And then we find Jesus. And so our I identity is transformed. And then we can recognize that because identity is transformed, is transformed, we are actually saints, not sinners. And so that S um, is a kind of full package there is that actually, oh, hang on a minute. I didn't talk about that. Well, that's the S, but I need to talk about the passage as well. Notice this. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. So you guys that are being baptized, it's symbolic of you being buried with Christ and then rising to new life with Jesus. But... I have to say, yet again, that baptism isn't about change in many ways because it's an outward and physical symbol of something that is inward and spiritual. You don't get that, do you? No, okay. It's outward and physical. It's water that goes on your skin. You don't drink it. Okay? And it's, in, of, it's a symbol of something that's already happened inwardly and spiritually. You've already, those that are being baptized, where are you? Give us a wave so I know where I'm looking. Okay, you've already decided in your hearts that you want to be followers of Jesus, that you are followers of Jesus. If you were to die now before you're baptized, you'd still go to heaven. 
Okay? So baptism does not change things, but it's a symbol of what has already changed. You were dead in your sins. Uh, this is the same verse. It goes on. Um, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken us away, nailing it to the cross. And one of the effects of being saints, or one of the things that we can know that we are saints, is that actually God puts his spirit in us. So we could say that we are not just S, saints, not sinners, but that we are C, changed by the spirit. Let's just run that by again then. D was about being dead without God. I is that we have our identity transformed when we come to Christ. And therefore, we can know that we are S, saints, not sinners, who are C, changed by the Holy Spirit. It's God working in us that helps us to change. Yes, we've got the verse up here about it's his seal of ownership on us. It's his deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing. Notice that, friends. Guaranteeing. There is no reason for doubt. If you've come to Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus, God has put his spirit in you as a deposit, guaranteeing that you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. There is no shadow of doubt. It's a guarantee. And if it's backed by God, then that's pretty good, it seems to me. But also, think about it. If God, if being in heaven with God is about God saying, I accept you and I want to spend eternity with you. All that God is doing in his, putting his spirit in us is about helping us to see that he has already made that decision. He's put his spirit in us and therefore there's no further judgment to be had. He's made that judgment. He wants to be with us. But equally, he wants us on this earth to be changed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Hence, there's other verses about the Spirit will lead us into all truth, will remind us of the truth that we have. Um, And actually, whoa, hang on a minute. What power was it that raised Christ from the dead? What power was it that raised Christ from the dead? Same Spirit that's at work in you today. The same Spirit that's at work in you today raised Christ from the dead. So think about that. That is amazing. So there we go. It's a review so far. We were D, dead without God. When we come to Christ, our identity is transformed. And so we can know that we are saints, not sinners, who are changed by the Spirit. And you might think of that as the foundations of being a disciple. And the next four is actually more about the framework in which we want to live to help us to grow up in Christ, to become more like Jesus, to become more Christ-like. So let's have a look at those. The I in the second half of disciple, I want to suggest, is about intentional self-leadership. What do we mean by that? Yes, Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples, make followers, But also, now that you're a follower of Jesus, who ultimately is responsible for your own, for your spiritual health? Actually, you are. 
Just like you choose what food to eat. You choose at the end of the day whether you eat too much food or too little food. You choose whether you have enough sleep or not. You choose whether you get out of bed on time to go to school. Except that sometimes people have got parents around them who say, come on, let's get moving. Now, you might be looking at those pictures and thinking, what on earth is going on there? Okay, this is about a river. Water. A river that is healthy has an inlet and an outlet. The water comes down off the mountains, goes out into the sea, classically. If you stop the outlet, it becomes basically a swamp. You can call it a pond if you really want, but let's call it a swamp. It's a bit stagnant, it it smells after a bit, it doesn't work ever so well. If there's no inlet, then effectively you've got a desert. So actually, if we're going to be healthy and be healthy rivers of life, if you like, actually we need an inlet and an outlet. Which means that we need to be learning, but also we need to be teaching. We need to be giving out. We need to be enabling others to come to Christ. We need to be enabling others to grow in their understanding of Jesus. And that's not just people like me that stand at the front. It's everybody. We all have a task to be people who are learning, who are choosing to read our Bibles, are choosing to pray, are choosing to manage our own, if you like, our own discipleship, but also people who are actually talking with others, encouraging others, provoking one another to godliness. And perhaps I need to say to my own crowd, why is it that a church of 50 can field 11 baptism candidates and we're fielding nobody? Where's the outlets, friends? Question for us all. But of course... As uh, somebody famously said, if your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. Go on, say it together if you want. One, two, three. If your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. In other words, you need to keep reading your Bible. And praying. Okay, guys? Especially those being baptized. But all of us. And it doesn't just happen by osmosis. There's something about intentional self-leadership. You have to choose to do this, friends. You have to choose to put aside the time to pray. You have to choose to tune in to God. Just like you choose to make yourself some breakfast. We choose how we live our lives. And we have to be intentional about this growing up and growing in Christ. Okay. Let's not labor that one too long then. So that was I. Three more points to go. Second thing then is, uh, the next thing on here is about P for people and places. Jesus in this passage went up on a mountainside. He called those he wanted. He pointed 12. But at another point he worked with 5,000 households. At other points he worked with 72. At another point he worked with 12, with three, with one. There needs to be a variety of people and places in how we do our learning. Because there will be times like this where it's great to listen to somebody, but actually there isn't the opportunity for questions, is there? Whereas in a smaller group, you can ask questions and you can talk to each other and challenge each other. 
So we need to have a variety of both people and places that we're learning from and learning with, learning alongside. Let's just review this second half then. So far we've had I for intentional self-leadership. Oh, come on, say it together. One, two, three. Intentional self-leadership. I know it's a lot of words. And the, the P then is for people and places. The L then is about language. In this thing about um, not foundations but framework, even that Bible passage we had today has some language that's quite hard to get your head around. So here's, the, here's that Bible passage again. We've talk, it talked of grace, of salvation, of ungodliness, of the blessed hope that we're waiting for, of uh, Christ who's coming to redeem us. They're all words that have particular Bible meanings. And if we're going to understand this Bible, we need to get our heads around some of this language that is normal for Bible, normal for God. And so that takes us back, if you like, to that sense of a variety of people and places, that actually we need to be people who are discovering and understanding this biblical language that God loves us with. So what about Bible reading notes? What about a commentary, um, particularly N.T. Wright, I suggest, Tom Wright? Um, what about something online? An online, yes, a verse for the day, but something that, that actually explains that verse as well, that helps you to think about it. So that was L. Then the E, this is the most exciting one really, I think, is the environment of heaven. Because if you look there to the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We're asking God to do, to hallow his name, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth, down here, as it is in heaven. So we have, if you want an interesting language set, we have a calling to be people who somehow steward the environment of heaven on earth. And you might think that's a weird language set, but that, that kind of, I think, is where we're at. That actually we need to be people who are truly witnesses, true witnesses, rightly witnesses to how God deals with this world. So, for example, you might think about these ways of, of dealing with people, that we want to honor them, that we want to be authentic, we want to be accepting and generous and courageous. And I'll leave you that are reading to read those, those, that screen. This is how we might conduct ourselves as God's people. If you like, if we're going to be God's marketing department on earth, we need to be true to how God is. If we're going to enable others to discover God's kingdom. But I think it's more than that. Because heaven on earth is not just about being nice to people. It's also about asking God to act in power, supernaturally, in the lives of others. So, have a look at this. This is John 14. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? Have you healed the sick recently? Have you cast out any demons? Anybody raised the dead this week? You might laugh, but actually it's what we're biblically we're told we can do. 
Because it's the same power at work in us as raised Christ from the dead. Yes, friends? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And God wants to work through us. He just says, look there, ask in my name, in line with my character. And I'll do it. I think we need to be a bit more courageous. We need to be a bit more asking of that stuff about heaven coming to earth, friends. Because actually, Jesus sent out, for example, the 12 in twos and said this to them. This to them. There you go. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. You've received forgiveness for all of your sins, past, present, and future, if you're a follower of Jesus. So we need to follow what we're told, which is to go out there and heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse those of leprosy. In our prayer meeting beforehand, we talked a little bit about the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment because she was so ashamed of where she was at and what she was like and yet she found healing because of her faith so we're called to do it that is to heal those who are ill to raise the dead and so on not to pray for healing and I find that quite interesting that we are not told God told to pray God would you heal this person but frankly we are told to command healing And maybe, maybe, just maybe, one of the things that is a bit of a struggle for us is that we are asking God to do the work that we are supposed to be doing. But that's partly because we're, because actually the work that we are supposed to be doing, we do in the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that has raised Christ from the dead, that works in you and through you into the lives of other people. So commanding healing is really about asking the Spirit that's living in us to do his work. So, you may live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Because that's what we're called. That's what that reading was about. Um, Let's just pass that on. There we go. This is the reading that we had earlier. That actually Paul's call to us is to be people who live self-controlled, godly, upright lives. And may that be so for each of us. But also, may you have the courage to see heaven come on earth. And in doing so, I can say from my own experience that it transforms faith. It's no longer about me and my little understanding of God. It's about my experience, my knowledge of God at work. There is nothing better than to be a child of the King of Kings who knows the Father's love, who knows that God will act on your behalf. So let's finally, let's look again at what we talked about this morning. Here we go. Without Christ, we are dead without God. When we come to Christ, we discover that our identity is transformed. And therefore, we can know that we are saints, not sinners, who are changed by the Spirit. And because of that foundation, we have a framework of how we're called to live. So we are called to be people who, have, who, 
who are intentional in self-leadership. And we have a variety of people and places where we look to for our growth and for our giving out of our growth. And we have discovered the language of the Bible. And we want to be people who see the environment of heaven come to earth. And that, my friends, is what being a disciple, a follower of Jesus is all about. And may that be so for all of us. Not just those who are baptized today, but all of us. Bless you, friends. Dot, back to you. Thank you. <laughs>